Welcome to the Crossing Church Sermon Podcast. Thank you for listening. We're glad you've connected with us. Our hope is that God speaks to your heart in a new way through this message. If you're new to the Crossing Church, please feel free to reach out to us by visiting our contact page or by paying us a visit. We would love to meet you. This week's sermon podcast begins in three, two, one. Good morning. From the look of things, and from what I've been told, it's almost Christmas. Your pastor has asked me to come and spend a few minutes with you this morning. I am only all too happy to do so. I haven't been in your world very long, but I've noticed something. I've noticed that you people do an awful lot of waiting. You wait in the line at the market. You wait in vehicles when you come to roads that cross. You wait long times for people to show up for appointments, for friends. You check your wrist a hundred times a day. You wait for friends who are late to a meeting with you. You wait for Christmas. You wait and you wait, and you wait. You see, I know something about waiting. My name is Zachariah. I was once a priest. In fact, I spent nearly my whole entire life waiting. Most of my waiting was not done on lines, was not in waiting for business appointments. Most of my waiting was done for God. But I'm getting ahead of myself. To go forward, sometimes you need to go back. Have you heard that expression? As a child, I was taught about God, our God, that he heard the prayers of his people, the patriarchs, kings, prophets, common folk like you, like I. Also, the great luminary figures, Daniel, Moses, Hannah, Jeremiah, they all prayed to our God. Our father David, you know David, Our father David wrote, Therefore let everyone who is godly pray to you while you can still be found and surround me with songs of deliverance. We believed, I believed, that God heard the prayer of his children. As a young man, I prayed many prayers about many different things. But have you, is this true of you? Have you ever prayed a prayer over and over again? In fact, the kind of prayer that was never far from your mind, wherever you were. I've observed children blowing out candles in their birthday in your world, and they're told to make a wish. That was the prayer. That was the thing you thought about when you were raised as a child. It's that prayer that's kind of always there. Everybody has one. Mine? Mine was simply this. I wanted to have a son. That was not an unusual request. All parents in my day wanted children because children were, according to the Scriptures, the ultimate blessing from the Lord. In fact, the more children you had, the more arrows you had in your quiver, the more blessed you were from the Lord. Children to sit on your knee. Children to teach the laws of God to. Children, well, quite honestly... To help along 
with the chores of the farm because we lived on farms and we needed help. And by the time they were six or seven years old, they were actually a help in running the family farm. Children who would one day, God willing, take care of me in my old age. See, children were a blessing. Someone who would say to their little ones one day, long after I had left the earth, uh, son, daughter, come sit with me. I want to tell you about your grandfather. He was a wonderful, wonderful man. Come and I'll tell you all about his life. But most of all, I wanted a son for this reason. I wanted a son to carry on my name and the name of our family. See, in our world, that was a very, very important thing. I said having children was the ultimate blessing. In my day, we believed that children were a sign of God's blessing and favor upon the parents. And we believed that childlessness was just the opposite. It was a curse from heaven, a sign of God's disfavor. Often, not only did parents have to live with not having children which they so desperately wanted, but to add humiliation to agony, often they were treated as social lepers in their own community. So I prayed. We prayed. That is, Elizabeth, my wife, and I, and we waited, and we waited, and we waited. Months turned into years, and honestly, as the lines increased on my face and the gray hairs in my head began to appear, I began to wonder if it was worth waiting any longer. I come to you today because I know that many of you are feeling what I felt so many years ago. You have waited for God too. You've waited for a child to be conceived. You have waited for an unresponsive husband or wife to come along. You have waited for the sin that you have so fiercely struggled with most of your life to finally be vanquished and to be seen no more. And in your waiting, very slowly, very slowly, in your waiting, you've become more irritable, even angry. And many times as you stew in your waiting, you've asked yourself questions, is it worth it? Why am I waiting? Is there anything in life worth waiting for? You have waited and waited and waited. You too have waited for God. And now in your heart, you're wondering, is it worth it? Does God really hear my prayers? Does he really care? Good Dr. Luke, in the first chapter of the gospel that bears his very name, said by description that Elizabeth, my wife, and I were, quote, upright and blameless. When I read that, I was flattered by the use of such superlatives in speaking about me, but I know myself better than that. And I'm not being humble when I say I don't deserve it. But my wife, Elizabeth, well, (laughs) that's a different story. If ever there was a woman who was upright and noble before God, it was she. What what was it that King Lemuel said again about a woman of noble character? I remember. He said she is worth far more than rubies. If that were true, then I was rich, well rich beyond measure. 
Now, I don't want to give you the wrong idea. I generally sought to follow hard after God, like so many of you. But we didn't simply go through the motions of following God like so many people in my day. We tried to back up our outward compliance with inward obedience. We didn't merely try to obey the letter of the law, but we tried to obey the Spirit too. That was true. Not perfectly, especially me, but, well, it was my desire. It's what I really wanted. But in all my following after God, there was one lesson that I suppose I never really learned. And that was what it meant to wait on God. But it was a lesson that God needed to teach me. He had to teach me that good things, righteous things, are worth waiting for. I know there's some of you here that love God as I did and I do. You pray to God as I did, as often as I do. There are many people who look at you and they would say from their own assessment that you are righteous, that you are blameless as they said about me. But perhaps you've been waiting on God and you are wondering if it's worth waiting anymore. I'd like to take just a few minutes this morning if I may, and tell you a little bit about my story. Because I am a person that learned that God's good gifts are worth waiting for. I was a priest. In my day, all the descendants of Aaron were priests. In fact, there were 20,000 priests who served God throughout Palestine. Of those 20,000 priests, they were all divided into 24 different divisions, my family, I was of the 8th division, the division of Abijah. And there were probably, oh, close to 1,000 priests in my division alone. And because there were so many priests, we didn't serve all at the same time in Jerusalem. We could never serve all at the same time at the temple. We would go to Jerusalem during the high holy days, the Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Tabernacle, the Feast of Passover. In addition to that, every division had to serve an, an additional two weeks in Jerusalem at the temple. So we went to all the feasts. And then we went two more weeks during the year at different times during the year in Jerusalem. But for most of the year, the 20,000 priests like myself, we just served God throughout Palestine in different towns and different villages. We went about our lives. We lived with our families. We raised them. We farmed. And we served God as simply and humbly as we could. My story begins during one of those two additional weeks that we had to be in Jerusalem. One priest, one in the morning, one priest, one in the afternoon, every single day during the two weeks had the privilege, the unbelievable privilege of entering into the inner sanctuary of the temple to burn incense before the altar on behalf of all God's people. You were God's representative to the people and the people to God. It was a high, high privilege indeed. In fact, it's difficult for me to understand how I was chosen for this amazing task. It was determined who would serve on any particular day, one in the morning and one in the afternoon over those two weeks by lot. Much like you're throwing dice. Have you ever done that? That's how it was decided. And every time those lots were cast, I literally had a one in 1,000 chance of being called. So there was no good reason for me to expect that I would ever win this great privilege in my lifetime. Most never did. 
But one day the lot was cast, and it fell on me, and I could not believe that they had called my name. I said to Reuben next to me, I said, did he, did he say Zechariah? I couldn't believe it, but I was chosen. I don't expect you to understand the significance of this since priestly service is foreign to you, but you need to know that this was a once-in-a-lifetime, at best, experience. It would be like you training your entire life as an athlete, sacrificing everything, and then one day chosen to represent your country in the international Olympic Games. But it would be more than that. Once you got to the site where these games were held, it would be as if all the athletes in your particular country, on your particular team, would get together and say, we want you to carry our flag into the great arena. We want you to be out front. We want you to represent the entire nation. I was thrilled. On that morning, I went into the inner sanctum to offer incense on behalf of the people of Israel, and I bowed low in my place. I was saying my prayers to God. I was burning the incense before the altar when suddenly, well, has this ever happened to you? Have you ever been all alone in a place or in a room, and then all of a sudden, you just feel like there's someone there with you? Has that ever happened to you? I was praying. I was offering incense. And all of a sudden, I had this overwhelming feeling that I was not alone. And finally, I looked up. And there standing before me was this unknown being. I immediately knew it was not a human being. I knew that before me stood an angel from heaven. And his eyes bored in on me. And I must tell you, I was terrified. I have never been more scared in my entire life. I, I, I couldn't move. I couldn't speak. I stood there, transfixed, for what seemed like eternity. But suddenly the angel broke the silence and he spoke. And he said, do not be afraid, Zachariah, <laughs> which seems so strange to me at that moment. Do not be afraid, Zachariah. Your prayer has been answered. As I tried to recover from the shock of seeing this sight, I whispered to myself, my prayer has been answered. My prayer, well, that's a, good th that's a good thing, isn't it? My prayer has been answered. Which prayer? What prayer is he talking about? Is he talking about the prayer I prayed last night before I went to bed that God would somehow grant me sweet sleep? I've been having such difficulty sleeping for a while now. And, you know, just sleeping through the night is a, is a rare privilege. And I prayed before I took my feet off the floor for God to give me rest that night. Was it that prayer? Was that Tonight was going to be the night that I slept through the night. Was it the prayer I prayed for my dear neighbor who's back is hunched over and he's in terrible pain and has been in terrible pain and I prayed for him and I prayed with him the day before that. Was that the prayer that was going to be answered? Was the prayer that was going to be answered, the prayer that Messiah would finally come, that God's people would finally have the promises established in my lifetime that their hearts would once again be turned to God, their creator? Which prayer was going to be answered? But as my mind whirled around and around and around, I said nothing. I could say nothing. My unspoken question, though, was soon answered. The angel continued with a pronouncement that I found utterly fantastic. He said that Elizabeth, 
my beloved but slightly aged and worn wife, along with her rapidly decaying husband, would bear a son. We would bear a baby. Elizabeth and I. That was the prayer he was talking about. But you know what? Now I was not only gripped with fear, but confusion. That prayer? That's the prayer that he was referring to, that he had heard, that God finally was going to answer? I still on occasion prayed that prayer, but I must tell you, by the time I appeared before this angel, and this angel appeared before me in the inner sanctum, I hadn't prayed that prayer in a long time. See, I used to pray. I used to think. I, I used to beg God on my knees. But my prayers have been tempered by the cold reality and the cold facts of living in this world. But now this angel from heaven told me that my prayer was going to be answered. My prayer had been answered. I must tell you, it's hard to think straight in a moment like this. Even more, it's hard to remember once the moment has passed exactly what was said. But I remember one word. I remember one word that was burned into my brain above all others. It was the angel's use of that word, prayer. Not prayers as in variety, but prayer as in one. Not prayers as in number of times, but prayer as in a single time. I had often prayed that prayer to God for a son with open hands, with bended knee, with anguished fervor, with sweat pouring from my brow. Sometimes I remember in the early days that my body would shake as I prayed. I remember thinking in my mind, I have not prayed that prayer once, O angel. I have prayed that prayer hundreds of times, thousands of times concerning my anguish. You mean prayers, don't you? And then I realized that he had meant exactly what he had said in exactly the way he said it. The prayer that God was responding to was the one that I had spoken softly when my body was young and my face, well, (laughs) was more youthful than it is today. God had heard that singular prayer. He heard that one. And now he was about to answer it. I know there were times when I had prayed that prayer as the pagans pray, and I hear them do this all the time, over and over and over again, thinking that the louder they yelled, that the more fervent they seemed to be, the more tears they shed, the more times they emphasized the word, please, that somehow it would unstop the ears of their God. See, many times I prayed like that because I thought that somehow The louder I got, the easier it might be for Almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth, to hear how ridiculous that is. I understood how ridiculous that was, but I did it anyway. But you know what? I needn't have worried. God, it seems, did have ears. Amazing. He did have ears, and he had heard me. In time, I came to see that it was not a... 
It was not a bad thing to offer requests more than one time. In fact, the scriptures say that he never grows weary in hearing our prayers and that we should not grow weary in offering them. I came to see that God, in all those times, in all my repeated prayers, was working, he was instructing, he was sifting, he was purifying me as each one of those prayers and requests rose to heaven, but he didn't need to hear it again. His hearing was just fine. He heard me. Well, the angel continued and made several statements ranging from the informative to the obvious to the sublime. He said that the child, the son who we were going to have, was to be named John, which meant the Lord is gracious. And he was. He was. He said that this boy would bring joy to us, which was so obvious and such an understated sentiment. Of course, he would bring joy to us. Then he said that many would rejoice at his birth. We knew that too because everybody in our area knew of our story. They would laugh, but they would rejoice too. Everyone had heard it. But what he said next was really the awe-inspiring thing. He said that this boy of ours would be considered great in the sight of God. And what's more than that, he would be filled with the Holy Spirit before he was even born. Then he said something that truly made my heart leap. He said this, He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents back to the children and the disobedient to wisdom and righteousness to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. To have a child was enough. But to have a child who would shake up the way God's people did business with him? That was a blessing beyond measure. This son of ours would be the direct fulfillment of a promise made through the prophet Malachi hundreds of years before our boy. Let me tell you something that you may not understand. People in my day, they lived as if there was no such thing as judgment. They did. As if life could be lived as anyone pleased, and there would never be real justice, there would never be real consequences. They believed that they could go to the temple, offer their sacrifices, say their prayers, and somehow they were protected. That God kind of just looked the other way. God was appeased. They had done their religious duty. It was as if no one could see that that type of thinking was so foolish No one could see that it showed a total lack of wisdom concerning true righteousness. They needed someone. We needed someone to call our attention to the fact that the Lord God was coming and we had better be prepared. We were called to be a people prepared for the Lord, but we were not. We needed revival. Oh, in my day, We needed revival. That was how things were in my day. Our rulers didn't help. In fact, they made things much worse. I lived in the days of Herod, Herod the Great. Most people did not consider him great, though, I must say. But we would never say that in a crowd because we 
would probably end up in one of his cold, dark prisons. Herod was an Idumean. That is to say, he was a half-breed. He was half-Arab, he was half-Jew, which you think would make everybody happy, right? Everybody could claim a piece of him, but it really was just the opposite. And he reigned over a political nightmare. He had been installed by the Roman government as king of the Jews, and he was always eager to please his Roman superiors because he knew that was where the real power lay. But he also tried to appease the people because he knew if the people got unruly and too unruly that he'd have problems there too. If there was anything that Rome was about, it was about order, to keep order at all costs. So Herod maintained order. He built a beautiful temple for the Jews, an ornate, expensive, exquisite edifice. But he also built temples for the pagan idols. Throughout the land of Palestine, you could see them dotted on each hill so that everyone could be happy, so that everyone would be pleased. He tried to play all sides as a leader. His private life was a mess. He modeled immorality to the people. He had ten wives and tried to impose his polygamous ways on all of us. What's worse, he was a murderer. He ordered the strangulation of two of his sons because they merely disagreed with him over an issue. And he had a third son executed. Augustus Caesar once said, it's better to be Herod's hog than to be his son. We needed revival in our day. Jews all around me were turning from God, living in sin, and acting as if God really didn't care. We needed revival. We prayed for revival. We prayed that God would take the stony hearts of the fathers, hearts that had become calloused, and turn them into hearts like that of children, soft, pliable, teachable, trusting, open to change, Hearts that were not childish, but childlike. Hearts that God could use. So we prayed. We prayed for Malachi's prophecy to come true. We preached it, and we waited, and we waited, and we waited. And now it seemed as if God was ready to answer that prayer. He was going to answer the prayer that Elizabeth and I had prayed so long for a son. And at the same time through that son, he was going to bring revival to Israel, accomplished through my boy. You know, God works in ways I do not understand. His ways are higher than my ways. They are inscrutable. I come here today not because... I know everything. But I come here because I know that some are praying as I prayed for years and years and years. You are praying for revival. Some of you realize that uh, your own time is not so different than my time. This is a day when your people need to turn to the Lord because of the X-rated values that are propelling your nation headlong into a sewer that reeks with the foul odor of relative ethics and outright law-breaking. They don't even see it. They don't even understand. They can't see how they don't break God's laws without those laws breaking them. Broken relationships, 
shattered peace, destroyed sense of well-being, and all the while they break the heart of the one that loves them so. Some of you have been praying that God would do something very special in your time, in your nation, in your city, in your family, in your life. You've prayed, and you've waited, and you've waited, and you've waited. And you've wondered if the promise of God is true anymore. You wonder if anything is worth waiting for. I'm here to tell you that it is. It is. Yes, God has promised that a day is coming when the children will turn to the parents and the parents to the children. Yes, God has promised that there is a day coming when there will be revival that will sweep the entire earth and every knee will bow before the Father. There will be a day when God will usher in a new age. We learn that as children. There is coming a day when Messiah will one day return again. And someday he will take us to live with him, everyone who clings to him, everyone who believes in his message forever and ever and ever in joy and happiness to live with him. But when the angel brought these words to me, this was an answer to my prayer here and now to do immeasurably more than what I had asked or imagined in this life. In that very moment, I knew that God had heard my prayer. And I knew that he felt my pain. See, I knew that. All my life I've been coming to God, seeking his ear, seeking divine purpose. And I have waited and waited and waited so long that it seemed as if God had turned his face away from me. It was as if the windows of heaven had been locked shut as I prayed. But in that moment, I knew it was all worth the wait. I knew it. I felt it. My fears were relieved. My disappointment eliminated. I knew that I had a caring heavenly father who cared about what I care about. You know, it sounds like a good place to end my story, doesn't it? What is it that your children's writers say? And they all lived happily ever after, right? Maybe I should end here, but uh, that's not the end of my story. Strangest thing. I had mentioned how the angel told me that my prayer was finally going to be answered. Now, you would think that anybody who just heard that would be absolutely overjoyed, that they would be dancing and singing and hugging the nearest person next to them. You would have thought that I would fall down on my knees and thank God that my prayer, after all these years, had been accomplished. But in that moment, in that moment when I should have been thankful, when I should have been joyful, the circumstances of my life became much more real to me than even the promises of God. I remember looking at this beautiful messenger from God. He was standing before me, and I remember saying the words that I wished I could take back. <laughs> I looked at him, and I said, how can this happen? And I shook my head. The very thing I had hoped for, the very thing I had prayed for, the very thing I had thought and dreamed about year after year for an entire lifetime was about to happen, and I couldn't bring myself to believe it. Remember, I told you that Luke flattered me when he used those terms about me. In that moment when faith should have reached out and grabbed hold of the good thing which God was about to do, that he was about to graciously bestow on me, I backed away. 
I was embarrassed about my petition. I thought it was presumptuous to think that God would do the impossible for me. As a priest, I had the responsibility of teaching the Torah. All of us priests did. People would gather together and we would tell them the great Bible stories about the miraculous birth of Isaac to Abraham and Sarah, about the miraculous parting of the Red Sea so that the children of Israel could walk through on dry land, about manna being provided from heaven, and many, many more. But in that moment, I realized that it was much easier for me to pray for a miracle than to believe that one could actually happen to me. It was easier for me to pray for God's power and to believe that I could see it realized in my own life. The great prayer burden of my life was my prayer for a son. Others around me prayed for other things, family burdens, long lingering needs, prayer for a pure heart. We all prayed for an explosion of God's power in our lives and we waited and we waited and we waited And I waited so long that when the angel of God finally came to me and told me that my prayers had been answered, I didn't even believe him. How can this be? For me, it was easier to pray for a miracle than to believe and to trust that God wanted to create a miracle in my life. I realize right then how defective my prayer really was. You see, I had the kind of faith to believe that if God answered my prayer in my way, in my timetable, then he was a good God who hears the prayers of his children and loves me as a son. Only if he responded to me like that, though. Only if he responded as an irritated parent to a young son or a young daughter who says, Father, Mother, give me this, give me this, again and again and again. And they finally give it to him or her just so that they don't have to hear the whining any longer. See, see, that was me. I had that sort of faith. I had plenty of that type of faith. But God wanted me to have a faith that would say, not my will, but thy will be done, good and gracious Father. And so the angel told me that because of my unbelief, he was going to take my ability to speak away. And immediately it happened. Immediately I could not speak. It was so hard trying to find ways to communicate, learning to live in silence, learning to live all alone with my thoughts, all alone. In the nine months that I was speechless, I wondered again and again and again, why did God use this method of discipline? Why, why that? Why not be struck with blindness? Why, why not lameness? Why not dementia like old King Nebuchadnezzar eating the grass of the field next to the lambs? It was near the end, just before John was born, that I finally realized why. God was not about to let me preach one more sermon about miracles until I believed them myself. He was no longer going to allow me to preach about his goodness to the children of Israel until I understood that goodness myself. I was no longer going to be given the option to stand before the people of God and tell them what a good, good God we serve who hears your prayers and hears the cries of his children until I understood that was true myself. See, so he shut my mouth. 
my lips were sealed. And it was in the quietness of my world that he taught me all those things. The ancient writer said there is a season for all things under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to speak and a time to be silent. This was my time to be silent, to learn and to, in many ways, for the very first time, believe. The baby did come. All of our friends were rejoicing over the demonstration of God's power in our lives. Our friends quite naturally assumed that we were going to name this child Zachariah. People always named their children after the father or a close relative. But when they went to Elizabeth, Elizabeth said, no, his name will be called John. So they looked at each other, and they came over to me. Obviously, she was mistaken. <laughs> and they said, Zechariah, what is the child's name? And I asked for a tablet. They brought me a writing instrument, and I wrote on it. His name is John. The Lord is gracious. God is gracious. By then, I had learned that he was and right then, my tongue was loosed. And filled with the Holy Spirit, I did something that I had never done before. I wrote a song. The song went like this. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the very house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in all holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our lives. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on all those living in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet in the path of peace. In his time, in his way, according to his own purposes, God was about to provide for our world a Savior who would rescue whoever would come to him from their sins. We waited, and we waited, and we waited, and now he was about to appear. And my son would be the one to make the formal announcement. God is gracious to those who wait on him. God's good gifts are worth waiting for. I suppose in some ways I was a righteous priest. I suppose it could be said in some ways that I was blameless. But I had never come to the place where I understood what it meant to wait for God's good gifts. 
God had to teach me to be willing to wait for his good gifts in his way, in his time, for his good purposes. I know that many of you have been wasting, you think, a lot of time waiting. You have waited, and you have waited, and in your waiting, you have grown impatient. Some of you have come to the place where you are wondering if you should even wait for God anymore. Well, God has sent me here today to encourage you, to challenge you, to believe that waiting is worth it. God's good gifts are worth waiting for. Take that from somebody who really knows. Well, stepping back from the character of Zachariah for just a second, I don't think I need to remind you that it's Christmas, right? It's all around you. You're flipping out. This afternoon, you got to run out to the store. We get it, right? We all get it. It's a time of giving. It's a time of receiving. And I know that some of you, many of you have been waiting on God because I know many of your stories. But did you know that sometimes God is waiting for you? Do you know that sometimes God's waiting for you to act, for you to do something? He waits for you. You've heard the message. You've heard the challenge that you need a Savior. You understand the message. But still you resist. Still you hold back. This Christmas season, this would be the best time at all to tell God, you know what? Thank you for sending the Savior who was raised, who went to the cross, who died, who rose from the grave. And you know what? He did it not for no reason, but for a very good reason, so that we could have peace between us and God in heaven. He has been reaching out to you for a lifetime, and he wants to give you the gift of salvation. What better time of year to receive the greatest gift of all? See, some of you are there. Others, others of you are in a position like Zechariah. You have prayed and waited, and you need to know that God has heard your prayers, and he will answer in his way, in his time, for his purposes. Don't give up waiting on the Lord. He has heard you and he is working.